0: Wednesday in Sounder play we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades and joining me Leon Cox in sounder play 78 is from the Kane and Rince community Richard Davidson. Hello there welcome to the show, Richard, or do you prefer Rich Hi. uh anything really? no preference okay uh, I don't know you as well as uh, our main man, Jay, here. Uh, I know you've spent many, many hours uh, on the mean streets of Los Santos with our Jay. Is that right?
1: Yeah, indeed. Probably some 10 hours at this point or 10 days rather combined. So, yeah, it's quite a long time.
0: Yeah, uh, and we've got a track from the world of GTA Online later on, which I'm quite interested in. Um, I hadn't heard it in the game, but I've now heard it in isolation, and uh, I was very impressed, and uh, I, I want you to tell me all about that. So these picks sure. today, um, you've brought five tracks for us, as we ask people to do, uh, and that listeners will be interspersed with some requests from uh, the wider community. Uh you may remember that I put the shout out uh, some point last year for people who would be interested in coming on the show, and I believe Richard, you put your name forward uh, via Jay to let me know that you you'd be interested. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, we're we're doing mm-hmm. that now, which is a cool thing, and it means that uh, we get to hear some of uh, some of the folks from within the world of Kane and, Rince and their favourite tracks. And would you say that these picks on the whole uh, represent your taste in games or your taste in music, or do they intersect nicely?
1: I think there is sort of a nice amalgamation of the two, actually. Uh, Certainly, I was quite conscious of the type of music to bring there, but I think this is quite a good representation of the type of things that I would listen to, not necessarily just in games, but outside of games at the same time
0: sure and um yeah sometimes when when folks come on as guests they're they're very keen to sort of find out everything that we've played before and try to avoid repeats and uh, and i was quite pleased that actually you didn't you didn't ask about that and as it turns out you've picked five pieces that we haven't featured before but actually some of the games and the composers are familiar but the point is we've been going you know 78 podcasts now sound of play things are going to come around and composers especially the prolific ones and the the ones that people love they are going to come around again so the more the more that uh, they're represented that's absolutely right and proper and as such we opened this show with uh, probably one of our most featured composers uh, Nobuo Uematsu and uh, we've had many fans of his on the show uh, and requests coming in and uh, well you know need we say more but uh, so I'm interested in Uh, In your particular pick, A Place to Call Home from Final Fantasy IX, which um, now I I always say this about every franchise because, you know, we've learned this very, uh, very keenly doing the Kane and Rince podcast is that in whatever franchise, in whatever series, People have their strong favourites and their their strong non favourites, and they vary wildly from person to person. Um, For every, for instance, in the Final Fantasy franchise, for every person who thinks that Final Fantasy VIII is like the greatest game in the series, there's somebody else who thinks it's the worst Final Fantasy ever. And Final Fantasy IX, I tend to find, is not quite doesn't seem to polarize as much as say eight does, but it's sort of it's like I, I feel it's like. One that isn't talked about as much overall,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but I do know that the people who love it really love it.
1: Yeah, indeed, and I think that's probably it. it so it's, it's got an interesting place because if you look at, for example, Metacritic, and I'm not sure to what extent you actually value the sort of aggregated scores on Metacritic, Metacritic rather, it, it sits at the top of the, the Metacritic uh, rating among them all, which is quite interesting because yeah. it's probably not one of the ones that is, is talked about uh, more fondly than others. But um, what I do like about it is it's the end of that PS1 era before they started to go into the PS2 and intersect the pretty hammy voice dialogue that you normally get throughout the rest of the series. I think um, Uematsu went on record, and I'm not sure to what extent that's going to be on the case at the moment, but he did say at one point that it was his favorite score among the rest of the the series itself, which probably says something about the the relationship he had with the, the game itself. I personally really like it although it's not my favorite it has the same problems that the rest of the series do it's got like a glacial pace about it yeah it has a a, a bizarre kind of um like dialogue system where it dissects it and it uh, takes you away from the story to tell like sequential storylines at the same time on different characters so it's yeah. a bit of a slog hmm. but i think the ios and the, the android versions have done quite a lot to, to mitigate the problems that it had okay um so I mean, just as an example, like if you you play it on iOS at the moment, there's an option in there to essentially cheat the game. Mm. Like all of your hits can do nine 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 nine. There's nice. a fast forward and and such like yeah, that, which makes yeah. the game a little bit more palatable and and sort of easy yeah, to deal brought, with at this
0: time. They brought some of those options to the PC and PS4 um, version of Final Fantasy VII as well, didn't they? So that mm. the uh, the the streamlining, if you just want to enjoy the story and you don't want to get bogged down. And this is um, this is music to Ario's because. Although we haven't committed to covering any more than the first two Final Fantasy games at this point, we are going to do the first two Final Fantasy games on the the Kane and Rinse podcast later this year. And yeah, uh, um, I'm planning on playing the, the Game Boy Advance versions, which were, you know, at least somewhat um, refined from from the NES Famicom originals. But uh, but it sounds like with each with each sort of passing reiteration, they they um, they smooth things over for the modern audience a little more. So it might be that we, you know, we can, um, we can have our experience going through the series, uh, slightly improved maybe, um, or make it slightly less daunting. But that said, as we've talked about many times as elder two experience, um, where we found that game very difficult to play and complete normally in, in the modern world, uh, this uh, quite challenging, you know, side-scrolling 2D adventure game from the 8-bit era, uh, and, you know, we, we used and abused save-scumming to the point that, uh, you know, according to some of the game's fans, we were actually taking away from what made the game good, which was achieving uh, in, in that difficult game. So there's always a balance to be struck. Um, but I think if a developer is actually putting things in and re-releasing a game, then I, I suppose you can kind of say, well, it's it's official, it's canon. They, they wanted the game to be enjoyed throughout by more people. And certainly the number of Final Fantasy games that I've bought and then um, kind of bounced off fairly quickly because of, you know, the difficulty spikes and the need to grind and things like that. I do remember when uh, when this came out in, uh, I guess it was I think it, it was 2000 in Japan and 2001 over here probably. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Final Fantasy 9. And I remember I do remember the reviews being really strong and I remember wanting it day one despite the fact that at that point I still hadn't finished you know the previous game in the series. Um, but I remember a lot of people celebrating the fact that after the kind of um, sort of quasi sci-fi of Final Fantasy 8 it was a return to the kind of the fantasy the, the the medieval style stuff of, yeah. uh, of it's earlier. something that square it's something
1: that square were actually aware of at the same time because during development it was known as final fantasy Guiden because mm-hmm. they obviously saw it as a departure from the sort of yeah. more real world in inverted in quotation story that they brought forward from final fantasy 7 and final fantasy 8 but um yeah. it shares a lot of the same themes of course that final fantasy VII, 7 yes. 8 and to be perfectly honest the rest of them do yes. so existentialism problems with uh, like who your own identity is this relationship between man and their interactions with the the world and such like that so yeah
0: <laughs> and um and that uh, the piece of music you brought up to us there is obviously um reflects that sort of medieval setting it's sort of a chamber piece with what sounds like recorders and lutes and and things like that is is that something yeah, that you're fond of in games is that a setting that that uh, still appeals to you despite its kind of classic nature yeah, indeed. I, I really, I really do
1: think that. And I think there's something to say about the minimalism of the actual version that you've listened to there, because there is quite a nice version in the distant worlds, uh, like uh, area or the the releases that Final Fantasy did with the orchestra and such. But the, I do like the crunchy middiness of, of mm. the, the, the recording itself. It's sort of Almost one of, well, in my opinion, one of the best interpretations or approximations of those like bladdery music uh, yeah. instruments and such and <laughs> blah and I like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. No, and I was I was having similar uh, thoughts when um, a couple of uh, sound of plays ago, um, our guest chose Aeris's uh, theme, and and we played the 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 original from uh, from Final Fantasy VII on the on the PS one, and I remember even at the time was surprised playing this you know this new cd based final fantasy that you know looked like at the time like on a technical level it was just completely astonishing with the cg cutscenes and all that and yeah i know it's weird because there's like three different kinds of character model and all that sort of thing but um uh, it was almost surprising when that music first started up and it was it was completely, you know, it sounded so chip tuny and, and MIDI-like. I was kind of expecting orchestras at that point, but yeah, now it, it sounds, it, it makes it more sort of, nothing against the orchestrated versions that you can get. As you say, those are all wonderful and worth having, but you can't beat that, the exact sound for taking you back. And I think it's, the, it's one of the things we, we enjoy about this show is like sometimes playing, we'll, we'll play covers, we'll play remixes, but sometimes just playing a tune from the original um, hardware uh, actually carries so much of the of the feeling of the time with it. One last point yeah. on that uh, before we naturally segue into a piece of eight bit music. Uh, I was just uh, looking at the comments on the uh, on the track that you chose on w- where it is on YouTube, and uh, I actually, even though I, you know, I'm known for knowing this stuff off the top of my head, I had to double check this comment to see if it was true, and it absolutely was. That Final Fantasies six to ten all happened in a seven year period. So 6, which is obviously a phenomenal 16-bit game, 7, 8 and 9 on the PS1 and then 10 on the PS2 were all released within the space of about seven years, which is remarkable. And obviously development times have expanded since then, and the gap between 13 and 15 was considerably longer than that. Um, yeah. what well, may have been six years in itself near enough. So, yeah, strange times. But, yeah, that was extraordinary output at that stage from, from Square. But yes, uh, as always, we like to bring you uh, an eclectic selection, uh, except when we do special theme shows. Obviously, those by their nature can be less eclectic. But here we have something from a game that I've never heard of. Uh, I'd, I had never heard of before this request came in from our friends, uh, Magnus and Victor Nistrum, uh, Scandinavian developer folks, uh, more of which uh, you'll hear from in the Caner Rinse podcast when we cover one of their games called Day Breathe uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, but this request came in. And uh, Magnus and Victor say it's from a game called Mr. Gimmick, uh, which is also known as Just Simply Gimmick in Japan. It's an extremely rare game for the NES and Famicom, of course, developed by Sunsoft. The game stars the toy plushie Yumitaro, who must rescue his owner, uh, who his owner or owners who have been kidnapped by her other apparently evil toys. Uh, it was only released in Japan and Scandinavia in a really small batch. And, uh, yep, that's absolutely true. Uh, a, a, one specific company in Scandinavia picked up the rights and they just released it across Scandinavia. So it didn't come out on mainland Europe, the continent or anything like that. So that's, uh, that's an odd <laughs> one in itself. Uh, Magnus and Victor continue, The game is amazing. It had really advanced world physics and stuff at the time and is crammed full of stuff that only shows up once in the game, a bit like the boot in Super Mario Bros. 3. The cart (laughs) shipped with some extra tech in it to make the music sound better than any other NES game too. So NES music doesn't get better than this. And this is Happy Birthday by Masashi Kageyama from Gimmick. uh that sounds more like to me um like Anamanaguchi doing 8 bit stuff because it's got all the you know the extra niceties of tech um so it's like yeah uh, as as Magnus and Victor who requested it said like the high end of NES Famicom music we've we've listened before to the differences between the say the um Famicom and NES versions of say the Zelda theme where it's got a whole extra channel devoted to um, sort of chimes and things to bring the bring the piece to life a bit more. But there, you've clearly got some extra hardware at work. Remarkable, indeed. Thank you for that request. We love uh, getting picks that we might not have ever other otherwise heard. So, yeah, more of those, please. Now, uh, we have featured music from uh, this stable before, but we're always happy to do so. And uh, our guest, Richard Davison here, you've picked, um, this is a piece, again, which has the capacity to properly transport me back 15, 16 years to when I first played this game. Um, The the cliched phrase is achingly nostalgic. Um, It's one of those where, yeah, it, it... it seems to just evoke the exact situation in which i first uh, was playing through eco uh is does it is that what it does for you as well that's exactly the case yeah yeah and I, I don't necessarily associate with the
1: first point that i played it but the reason that i bring it up is because it puts me in the mind of uh of when my son was first born oh. so to give you some context um my partner uh, my girlfriend and i play through uh, eco and shadow of the colossus once a year and it's become something of a tradition and this year was the first time that we actually incorporated uh the last guardian into the into the situation as well and i have this really uh yeah indeed yeah yeah it's worth waiting for um i won't go into it too much so essentially um i guess a new father uh, we would uh, play through eco and the only kind of respite that we would have is go into one of the, the seats or the save points in the game and then we'd pick up our son and, and feed him or coddle him or try and sort of uh, pacify his, his crying and such mm. and uh, heal, the song here, it just would loop and loop. And every time I just sort of think about the, the sort of situation and the circumstances under which, uh, under which we were there when Miss Summer was born. And I think, despite the fact that I've probably heard this piece of music uh, like an inordinate amount of times, I still sort of look at it and, and recollect the circumstances that we were in at that time and, and just try and unpack it and really sort of bring to mind those feelings that we had at the same time as well. It's just a really nice uh, evocative piece of music and I think while this sample is probably not quite very long, uh, the more you listen to it and the more you dissect it, there's something really sort of pleasant and peaceful about this.
0: So yes, this is Heal by Michiru Oshima and or Koichi Yamazaki. true to form we covered eco and shadow of the colossus in one podcast when we were doing that back in the early days of the cana rinse podcast issue four from whew, probably uh, either very late 2011 or early 2012 so yeah, around five years ago, and someday, yes, no doubt, we will do the last Guardian. Uh, it seems very appropriate you having this sort of uh, this family-oriented uh, f- these uh, family-oriented feelings for Eco, given that uh, although there's no infant uh, in it, um, the the two protagonists are, are leading each other by the hand around the uh, around the wind-swept the, the yeah. castle, which is uh, yeah, still such an evocative memory. And I think it's one of those games. Anecdotally, when people talk about returning to it, they're sometimes now surprised by the uh, the clunkiness of the controls and, and whatever. Um, and obviously that's been one of the major criticisms that's been levelled at The Last Guardian um, in terms of feeling like uh, a Team Eco game from, from uh, yeah, 10 or 15 years ago. But uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've seen some really strong criticism of it, but, uh, but I think those people who really love uh, Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. It's it's not about having sort of platinum game style liquid smooth mechanics. Is it part of the in- interface of the game? Is the fact that it isn't necessarily. Um, all plain sailing, and I and I know realise that sounds like making excuses because I actually found Shadow of the Colossus quite frustrating for all this, um, especially in the latter stages because of those some of those control issues, the fact that you have to sit through uh, lengthy animations every time he got sh- uh, Wanda got shaken and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah. But i think i understand what they were going for and uh i've only played a little last guardian so far but um but were, we without spoiling anything uh regarding the last guardian uh obviously uh, we have a track coming up later on but um did it did it live up to your expectations after all the after all the build up all the hype um so i'm of the opinion that
1: what you probably imagined you were going to get is exactly what you get yeah. so i find it a bit bizarre that there's this uh, vociferous negativity towards the the controls like yeah. it i'm not going to be an apologist about this they're sure. not good and the camera itself is perhaps one of the most frustrating mm-hmm. cameras in any sort of modern contemporary game but i just um went into it with the opinion you know all i was expecting is more of the same and so with that in mind i, I certainly wasn't disappointed
0: with a trico in it which you know Yeah, Uh, yeah, absolutely. I also heard a tip before I I, I got my copy through the post last week. It was 25. I ordered it on Christmas Day when I found out I wasn't getting it for Christmas. It was 25 pound on Amazon. So can't complain. And um, I read in the meantime that Edge magazine had recommended that you can switch the camera speed up to maximum and it actually makes the experience slightly less frustrating. So I did that off the bat and uh, yeah, it seems to be okay. So. Good. Yeah. Might be worth uh, listeners checking that option out. Now, something completely different from a, a franchise we have not featured before, and uh, a new poster from the forum Stalked by Cats. Um, if you're going to be stalked, be stalked by cats. Uh, requests a track from Ace Combat Zero, uh, which is uh, subtitled The Belkan War. Uh, I really can't recommend the Ace Combat Zero soundtrack enough. While the story might be just as much ridiculously cheesy and ham-fisted anime nonsense as in any other game in the series, for some reason, it still managed to cut through my well-kept cynicism and made me get swept up along with it. Aside from various personal reasons at the time, I think the excellence of the soundtrack was a huge part of that. Even though the, I think, uncontroversially best title on the soundtrack is certainly the titular Zero, I, and my inner hipster, will have to go with Near the Border, the track playing Over the Credits, as my personal favourite. You want to see what borders mean up close? Sure, Pixie. I may not really understand what that even means, but just, you know, be safe, buddy. P.S. I don't understand why flamenco influences aren't a bigger part in more action game soundtracks. (laughs) So this is uh, with a huge dollop of flamenco near the border from Ace Combat Zero, the Belkan War, uh, and the composers credited on the game are Keiki Kobayashi, uh, Tetsukazu Nakanishi, Hiroshi Okubo, and Junichi Nakatsuru. And we don't know who did this particular track, but enjoy all six minutes of it. (laughs) So we're back with our guest Richard Davison and we were talking about the last guardian there. Uh now our next pick, your next pick is from the that very game and it's called Victorious. Does does this is this a late game piece? Is it from the end or is it something that happens along the way? It's it's a sort of recurring piece which is very specific to to particular points in the game. So I'm
1: ah. very like conscientious of, of spoilers. Um, so I'll okay. try and keep it as aloof Please as possible. Do. Yes. Yeah. yeah do. We
0: spoil everything on the other podcast, but we generally try to avoid spoilers on Sound of Play because anyone could stumble across it.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: I think um,
1: the Last Guardians like a bizarre game because it seems to sort of, have provoke this sort of sense from the community or the actual audience that they're reaching to where people are sort of naturally identifying against some of the qualities of the game with particular reference to things like the controls and the camera like we previously mentioned before. Mm. But I think if you're willing to sort of have a modicum of patience about it and try and understand what it's doing there, there's actually a lot of depth and a lot of sort of interest and things at work here, which other games aren't necessarily sort of uh, tackling and and the piece that i've chosen is called victorious and it's uh it plays when you um are encountering those stone golem sort of stone soldiers that appear uh as the antagonists throughout the game and what's fascinating about the way that this piece of music does is it sort of provokes this sense of uh like separation anxiety that i get or certainly that i had when i was playing the game that i don't think i've ever had in any other game before so I suppose what I mean by that is when you're away from Trico, you're very conscientious of where you are away from him and, and what what he does for you. So he's providing you a lot of uh, like cover or a lot of sort of protection. And as the music itself swells, it just seems to time itself naturally with that point when you reach and you grab and you're climbing on top of Trico and he's fighting away these stone golems that you necessarily don't have any any kind of way to combat and there's that real feeling of uh, relief as you grab there the anxiety just sort of dissipates and you sort of breathe deep and take a deep moment of like thank god i'm behind the back of here and it's a it's a game that i don't think any other or any other games kind of met and i'm trying to think of examples of games that have tried to conjure up this feeling there's things like heavy rain which I suppose you're meant to feel when, when Jason and, and Ethan sort of separate from one another, but I don't necessarily think that it's handled in the same way. And what the last guardian does is, is do it without any dialogue, without any kind of sort of discussion between the two creatures. It's just all handled through music and sort of, uh, bodies, gestures and such like that. It's, it's quite beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um, I've got a little, uh, another little story to tell about the Last Guardian, but I'll save it for afterwards. Uh, so this is uh, Victorious by Takeshi Furukawa. stirring stuff once again from uh, the last guardian and uh, a bit of it's the london voices orchestra is it on that yeah i believe so yeah 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 uh, which is fantastic um yeah so uh, before i'd played the last guardian i actually unfollowed somebody because of their response to the last guardian so um on Twitter, obviously this is, uh, and they don't care that I am followed them. I'm not trying to make out like it matters to them that I followed them. <laughs> it absolutely doesn't. Um, guy, I don't know if you're familiar with Daft Limmy, comedian, uh, Scottish. Yeah. yeah he's he's yeah, a very indeed. smart, funny guy. I think he's, he does, does some really good stuff. Um, before i'd played the last guardian obviously i'd seen responses from different people different corners some people uh very much appreciating all the things about the game that, for instance you the stuff you've just told us about um and other people uh saying that the controls and the camera were too much of a barrier but they understood why other people like it liked it but uh but limmy aka uh brian Limond, I think it is, was just ranting about the fact that the game was broken and that anyone who liked it had low standards. And that was just so much against my philosophy on appreciating things that you like, that you know, that all is subjective and we each have our own takeaway from things. And sometimes, you know, one man's meat or one person's meat is another person's poison and all that sort of thing. And actually, if you <clears throat> if you value the feelings and elements of the experience that you get from a game and a game does enough in that area to to make it, make it emotionally resonate that it can overcome uh, e- even if even if you find a, a game's controls you know really obtuse or difficult in some way your overall experience can be it can still be a positive one even if and that's not to say that you don't necessarily wish that the mechanical ele- elements couldn't have been stronger like uh, a game that i'm thinking of now is papo and yo Um, which is a game we covered on the podcast a few years back. And uh, it also involves uh, you controlling a character who's slightly difficult to control and the physics are a bit wonky and the camera's sometimes a bit irksome. And there's a big lumbering character that you have to kind of guide around and encourage around. In some ways, it's not so dissimilar. Um, And that game, you know, I definitely felt could have been mechanically smoother and stronger and, and more elegant, but... Uh, But the game made me deeply emotional, and so so that's not it's not about having low standards. It's about one's personal response to something. I I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I hope I I, I hope that um, most of our listeners are on board with this because we 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 are at pains to point out that you know opinions aren't right or wrong. They are opinions, and you know there are not. You you can't you can't factually say as an absolute that something is you know, is good or bad. Essentially, it's 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 what, what, what you bring to it and what you take away from it. So, so accusing people of having low stands because they liked something that you didn't is just... And I know it's social media and it's shorthand, but the guy streamed him playing the whole game and he obviously hated the experience so much that he felt moved to, you know, he was just saying, it's broken, it's broken. Well, I, I know plenty of people who have completed it, so is it broken? I guess. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Anyway, that's a sort of wider philosophical talk, but I just like to uh, uh, expand upon my personal philosophies from time to time. Uh, Thank you for indulging me, uh, listeners and guests alike. (laughs) Uh, Now something more fun than me ranting. Uh, This is uh, a game that I've only played the first stages of, but I am uh, more familiar with the soundtrack because we featured pieces from it before, uh, and it's a Belter Fury is the game. And this was requested by uh, Jakob G42. Uh, over at kainandrince.com slash forum. And Jakob says, Fury is a game with exceedingly few lines of dialogue. It's a through and through boss rush only broken up by stretches of contemplation and a mostly superfluous narrator. But I digress. The bosses therefore have to rely on other means of conveying their personality. The track I picked here, the toxic Avengers make this right, comes during a pitched battle with a disconcertingly angelic opponent. She bears a strong resemblance to Overwatch's mercy and is initially not at all aggressive. The song plays on this concept with with distorted and synthesized female vocalizations that, with a little tweaking, could make for a fun and upbeat mix to be played at a rave. Fury won't let you fully indulge, though, even while dodging through her bullet-hell-like attacks Make This Right feels intentionally off somehow. It hints that your opponent isn't the typical evil of a video game baddie and makes your eventual victory feel somewhat hollow. That lingering feeling of self-doubt persists through much of the rest of the game. So this is from The Game Baker's Fury. Uh, You may have it as part of your PS Plus account. It's called Make This Right. really like that soundtrack and uh boss rush games can be hit or miss for me um going all the way back to things like alien soldier on the mega drive uh, which is notoriously challenging and even thinking about uh we talked a lot of team eco in in this podcast but shadow of the colossus is eventually essentially a big boss rush game uh have you got any favorites in that sort of odd sub-genre Uh, no, not particularly. No, I know
1: that's not particularly satisfying answer, but Fury is one of those games that I keep meaning to go back to. It's sort of among that, uh, PS plus or the subscription things where you get all these fantastic games that have very little value to you. So, um, it's, it's something that I keep meaning to go back to, but I can barely find the time or the inclination to do that, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of those games where when we featured tracks on it, I've almost been inspired to play it because of the music. Because I really, I really dig the soundtrack. And that can actually be a, <laughs> like a, a pull to think, well, if I'm going to play something, uh, at least I know I'm going to be enjoying the music even <laughs> even if yeah, the indeed, click, yeah. So, yeah, Fury, if you've got it in your backlog library listeners, um, check it out. I know some people who are quite into it if you like a sort of, you know, action type of stuff. Right. Now, here it is. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Online and specifically the Bikers update, which came at some point during 2016. Um, and what I'm curious about, you've, you brought us a track called Idea 5, and I think the tracks are all called or mostly called Idea 1, Idea 2. That sort yeah. Of stuff. They, yeah. Um, yeah. So this is um, Woody Jackson is credited, um, who uh, is a regular for Rockstar. But also, James Curd, uh, who I'm less familiar with uh i don't know i don't know what previous works but um i listened to this track earlier and yeah it's a belter it like starts out as a as a kind of um what do you want you, you tell us about it. it's your pick richard well so
1: it's yeah like you say it's among these uh these seven ideas that were created sort of to give the game a, a different identity so specifically with the biker dlc and i know that for example. When Grand Theft was came out though, the, the the soundtrack that was put together by like Tangerine Dream and, and Woody Jackson was supposed to sort of be evocative of like West Coast uh United States. And it is a really good job, but they brought out these seven ideas to give it a brand new identity, uh, something along the line of the the biker DLC. And what's quite fascinating is to hear it in its entirety because the game itself like partitions different uh sort of instruments or different musical stings into certain scenarios. So I mean for example like when you begin a mission you'll hear that rolling galloping bass line and it just goes and goes and goes until you trigger something off within the mission like for example you pull out a gun or you kill somebody or you pick up the drugs or you (sighs) stick the boot into a player so what you can find is that you get that bass line going and going for about 20 minutes while you're essentially traveling down the motorway in in uh in formation if you will and then it doesn't differentiate between when you travel in formation and when you stop to pick up some p's and q's which are the game's approximation of m&ms while you're outside <laughs> of a uh, like a corner shop so it's quite bizarre because you have this um it's what's called tension rock, I think it was given tension rock by one of the community members, which just makes you feel on edge as you go yeah. in there. It's just a fascinating way to sort of play the game. I'm sure it's not unique to Grand Theft Auto, but it sort of it gives you some sort of like kick up the ass while you're actually trying to play. It's good stuff
0: sure that's brilliant because that was exactly what i was going to ask you like how does it fit in the game because it's not like you know the most of the the soundtrack for the main game obviously is uh, is going to be what you hear on the radio stations and there, yeah, there indeed. are there are there is incidental music in in the sequences the tangerine dream stuff and um but it's quite it's generally quite subtle and in the background and obviously it's uh drowned out by the cacophony of shouting and gunfire most of the time <laughs> yeah. so I was wondering how how these actually fitted in so yeah so it is playing yeah behind under the um and I, and I guess it's easy to miss a lot of it as well because if you're playing in a team you're going to be talking to your friends and you've got headsets on and I always find that um as much as it's fun you know socializing in a game an online game uh, I do miss the the full audio uh experience of games because it's such an important thing to me um
1: fortunately the traveling that you do in Grand Theft Auto means it's essentially unavoidable unless you get one member of the team who particularly likes funk music and wants to change change the radio yeah, well, but what it does is it's great because it just sort of like triggers that really sort of visceral point in your brain way you'll be doing something trivial like you've got to go and rough up a foreman at a at a work site and there's just you and your, your gang and you just feel your blood pumping as you go
0: up there just to lay the boot into somebody it's good stuff classic gta all right this is idea five of seven was it uh james kurt and woody jackson from gta online bikers Richard, I should have got you to say bikers because it always sounds better in a northeast accent. Uh, that's I think. <laughs> biker, just, biker, because I'm thinking about Biker Grove now. Um, and uh, yeah, Where, whereabouts in the northeast of England are you from? For our foreign so, listeners, I'm,
1: I'm in Northumberland, which is the the border county. It's between, well, it's not between. It's the final border. Uh, sorry, county on between england and scotland so yeah. i suppose the the nearest element would be newcastle so yeah i do have to fess up with that and i'm waiting for the obligatory newcastle united brighton conversation that we're probably likely to have at some point
0: uh well yeah i mean it's still hanging in the balance so uh, <laughs> you know and the most important thing is is uh is top two so but if uh if we do manage to um if we do manage to pip the um, the most expensive squad ever assembled uh, in the championship <laughs> with our with our relatively meagre resources, uh, yeah, you, you can you, you might hear a little bit about that back in, in May, uh, but we could just as easily end up in the playoffs uh, and missing out again. So I'm not saying anything at this point. Certainly not on tape, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, Now, next up, we have another epic piece. We're going back to the 16-bit era for this one, although it's a 16-bit conversion of an 8-bit tune, technically speaking. Uh, This is requested by Hayes Redmist, who says, Love this tune, full of eerie intrigue, perfectly matched by the visual style of the game. So what is this? This is the main table theme from uh, a game called Devil Crash MD, which is also known in the West as Dragon's Fury. uh, And... It's a conversion of a PC Engine game called Devil's Crush. Uh, and it's worth also checking out the original version of this uh, tune, but uh, this specifically is the Mega Drive version. Um, the, the port was by Technosoft, who people probably know for the Thunder Force games, which also have astonishing um, sort of metal type, uh, pro- progressive metal type 16-bit soundtracks using that uh, that famous Mega Drive FM chip sound. Uh, so uh, this is going to be seven epic minutes of high-energy 16-bit gorgeousness, and the composers are Toshiharu Yamanishi, Takeshi Yoshida and Naosuke Arai, and uh, please enjoy this one. Main table from 1991's uh, Mega Drive port of Dragon's Fury or Devil Crash MD. Uh, thoroughly uh, enjoyed that game back in the day. Uh, it's uh, yeah digital pinball in the sense that rather than being a straight port of a pinball table like the what's it called pinball classic arcade, the uh, the Williams one. Is that the Williams yeah. one? Yeah, um, where they they're ports of original tables. It's probably closer to. Uh, the the Zen Studios pinball FX Zen pinball stuff, but actually it's even more video gamey in the same way that Sonic Spinball or or um, Pokemon Pinball, or one of those are, in that it's got you know it's got features and things that you couldn't do in real life because it actually involves splatting enemies and and things like that, and it's got this whole kind of gnarly uh, aesthetic bit, bit um, biomechanical Giger esque bit of horror, all that sort of thing. Anyway, it was um, I imagine it probably looks a bit. Slow and clunky now, um, and the pinball physics will have been long since surpassed. But uh, but I, I found it very uh, addictive back in the day, and uh, it was one of those games that you could because it's pinball, you could rack up obscene high scores of billions and billions of points, which is always fun.
1: I do like the the track itself, though. It puts me under those speed metal tracks where you think yeah. to yourself, clearly the solo came first, and then they've built the rest of the song around <laughs> this.
0: Yeah yeah yeah. I suppose it, it t- makes me think a little bit of uh, obviously everyone was um through the fire and flames the dragon force track on guitar, yeah. guitar three became yeah. a real thing which is not to my taste at all I prefer I prefer that 16-bit sound to the to the through the fire and flame stuff but um but I don't know I'm a bit I'm a bit odd when it comes to metal and things because I absolutely love the um the doom you know very doom 2016 yeah. soundtrack uh which is a bit more kind of post-industrial or something um but yeah no I, I there's something about Taking the um, the the widdly fretting guitars and turning them into 16-bit sounds, that which uh, which appeals to <laughs> me. Remember, listeners, if you've got requests like that one or other things completely, please venture over to our forum at kainorince.com forum, or you can do it on Twitter, follow us at kainorince anyway, use the hashtag Sound of Play, uh, not many of you are doing that, but you know, the option's there if you want it. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash we're over, uh, over a thousand likes on there now, uh, and we uh, interact, and we also sort of, that's our one outlet of video games news, where we disseminate bits and bobs from all around the industry. Uh, so you don't have to um, sift through all the stuff. Uh, we we focus on stuff that we think our listeners will be interested in, which is a which is a broad range of stuff. But it's basically it's all the cool stuff. Uh, but yeah, continue to request your favorites and other oddments for Sound of Play podcasts, and we'll continue to include a selection on on the regular show. Uh, as we record this, we're a couple of podcasts uh, away from Sound of Play eighty. Uh, And there's another special planned. I'm not sure if Ryan has announced it yet, but it's another popular uh, Japanese franchise, uh, long running game with some genuinely uh, jaw dropping music. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun that show. Uh, Please do subscribe to this podcast if you don't already, wherever you get it from. Leave us an iTunes review or rating, but review it and rate it wherever you can. Even face to face with friends is good. And we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can donate a dollar a month or whatever you can afford, really. Uh, and it all goes ploughed back into the making of this show, which takes a lot of time and effort, as you can imagine. This and the other podcast, of course, Kana Rince, which you should listen to. Uh, so before we hear about your final track, I want to thank uh, Richard Davison for joining me on Sound of Play 78. Yeah, my pleasure. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, always uh, nice to have a new voice on the show um and uh, also to thank all our other community contributors keep them coming have you got anything uh, in out in the world that you want to plug even if it's your social media or, or whatever or anything that i don't know about in essence no not really i don't have any kind of uh, sort of
1: online presence and it's more to do with time and inclination rather than anything else i'm sure at some point maybe if i find the the energy to do that i'll perhaps uh, do something, but not at the moment. You can join me on on the PS4, I suppose, if you want that. Just hit me up on on Twitter. Uh, my gamertag is follow my ruin, which is a, a terrible in joke from uh, from the uh, Norwegian duo electronic band Royksop So, if you want to know more about that, by all means, let me know.
0: I I did I did I, I've I've long long since wondered what it referred to, um, but. If you, do you want to do you want to say it or do you want to keep it a mystery? Uh, it, it would bore you. It's nothing interesting. It's, it's just an old in joke that
1: isn't particularly very funny. And in essence, it was my alarm clock because it was the worst song, and I used to bore my flatmates with it by uh, making it <laughs> as loud as possible.
0: Good call. Uh, now, this is not the worst song. This, uh, that we're going to close the show with, um, again, it's a soundtrack we've featured bits from before. Um, this is absolutely gorgeous, in my opinion, um, from Unravel. And um, Why did you pick this one?
1: Yeah, it is. It's just the most sumptuous soundtrack. And it comes from from a game, uh, Unravel, which last year, I mean, I have to say, for me, it was probably one of the most positive gaming experiences I had throughout the year. Yeah. I know that, for the most part, the game itself is been met with a sort of middling to positive reaction, but for me it was just just fantastic. And um it's it's largely because of the circumstances under which I played it. So I played it as a companion piece with with The Witness, which was a game which I found endlessly frustrating and no fun whatsoever. So having the ability to to sort of counter counteract that with Unravel was just something really, really nice. I do like the the game itself because it reminds me a lot of my home. And I think um, I, I suggested a track some time ago called The Sea, which was on one of the former Sound of Plays where I went in to describe that. And um, I just think just think, it's really, really relaxing and really, really pleasant to listen to. And I have a lot of affection for the studio, Coldwood, and uh, Martin Salon himself, all the way back from when he came and announced the game in E3 mm. uh, some, some years ago. I think that um, he's went on record to say that they were, were keen to deliver some... With the narrative through the score itself, and there is a very sort of light narrative through the game, you get those sort of memories uh, and, and the imagery popping up through there. So there's a lot for yourself. So he said, uh, he said that what he wanted to try and do is uh, connect people's memories through music and through game. And For me, I, I certainly think that he's achieved that. And at the same time, I have a lot of affection for them because obviously they're very keen to cluster talent in this very small location in Sweden. So they brought in local musicians to try and help them score it, to give it a sense of place as well. And I I personally think they've achieved that. Yeah,
0: completely. Um, Yeah, it's... uh... I, I I spoke about Unravel a couple of times in sort of uh, other podcasts, end of year roundups and things because I, I did play it last year. I played it on EA Access uh, when I got a free month of that with my my new Xbox One. And um, yeah, if I I was critical of the fact that I think that some of the themes of the puzzles became overused. Like that was that was my main criticism: the fact that I felt like I was doing sort of the same thing over and over again as the game went on. But I don't want that to put people off playing the game because i absolutely think it's worth experiencing because yeah apart from anything else as well as as well as the puzzles albeit even if it does overuse them like they're clever and fun but the audio visual side of this game is something special it's really yeah. you know like a proper like the, some of the backgrounds and the, and the areas are you know is really that near photorealistic sort of thing yeah um, uh but it, ea and and mm. Cold would have, have signed on for a,
1: a sequel at this point so i'm hoping they can right some of the wrongs from the original i mean that's yeah. probably a strong way of saying it but um sure, what they've yeah. what they've done with the original mm. and the sort of uh what they achieved was something quite special certainly to me
0: yeah i'm glad i'm glad to hear it um and yeah i think it's a real fine balancing act when you're using mechanics of that nature to make puzzles that are both accessible and and fun and possible while not losing the variety i think the the challenge is because if you if you mix up the puzzles too much they can they can just end up becoming impossibly difficult um yeah. because of the nature of the the sort of analog nature of your interface with the world in a way because it is it is the yarn um but it also makes for some yeah some situations unlike any in which you you've perhaps played in any other you know puzzle platformer so yeah agreed But yeah, a beautiful, lilting refrain to close the show out with uh, several minutes of this to enjoy. Uh, And yeah, thanks, Richard, for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah, it's really nice. Cool. And uh, yeah, this is Yanni's theme and we'll see you on Sound of Play 79.